Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with Leo Flowers. If you're like me, quarantined, locked up, <laughs> not locked up, but that's what it feels like, right? Um, There's it, it, so many challenges and, and obstacles. I have received so many messages from people feeling like a burden, uh, feeling like they're isolated, to feeling hopeless. Uh, However, if you go to thrivewithleo.com, I can coach you from feeling like a burden to feeling like a blessing, from feeling isolated to feeling connected, from feeling hopeless to feeling hopeful. Go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching, and we will get through this together. With that said, Let's get into the episode. Mo, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I feel like I already know you because I listened to your podcast. Oh, (laughs) did you listen to all 100 and whatever, whatever? You know, I haven't. Uh, Not all of them, but I listened to your most recent Corona one. Oh, yeah. Like your 10 10 ways of avoiding Corona. I've listened to a couple other ones, too. Um, The one with the gentleman who was in the military um and then the uh, the the dance chick oh i think she's from denver I yeah to that one too. yeah yeah so do you do you have a military background what was your fascination with the military episode um there was no fascination i just i think i looked up the podcast and i just kind of scrolled through and clicked on one um i listened to it on my way to work so i'll listen to like 20 minutes at a time um but yeah i just that was kind of the first one i started on and then i just like to jump around and i just like click based on the title i don't know what it was about that one I, I, you know, it, it's interesting because I, I realize like some people will select the podcast based on the title. Sometimes it's based on the guest. Uh, you know, it, it's like a back and forth. And, and in some podcasts you just listen to, uh, regardless <laughs> of who's on or, or what the topic is, you just want it on in the background. You know, I don't know if you mentioned this in your title with the military podcast, but he was talking about, I believe it was him that was talking about EMDR. Yeah. And I actually did EMDR therapy. So maybe that's what it was now that I'm thinking of it. What now? What now? Can, can you explain to the listeners what what EMDR, I forget what is it, eye movement, rapid, these blah, blah, blah. blah. <laughs> I know, right? I, I mean, I might butcher, I might butcher the title too, but I think it's eye movement desensitization program reprogramming. Oh, uh, yeah, there you go. Look at you. <laughs> Somebody went to college. <laughs> I did. I didn't graduate though. All the none of the geniuses have. But what? Right. What? Well, what got you into the? What? Uh, why did you try to EMDR? And what was your experience with that? Hmm. So when I started my business, I moved uh, across the country back in with my parents, um, away from my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband. And there were just so many life changes. And I started having panic attacks. And, you know, the first couple, I thought, okay, this is weird, but I've been really stressed out lately. I just moved, you know, there's just so much going on. And then they became more frequent and they started happening every day and then several times a day. And so, um, I decided to go into therapy and, um, it was, based on a recommendation of a family friend, I, th- I think. And, uh, she said, I think, yeah, it was sh- she said that, um, you know, EMDR is really beneficial, um, for helping people who have panic attacks, who have experienced trauma. And so, um, I was able to go to a therapist. Um, I, I was on access at the time, which is basically like free health support because I had no income with my brand new business. 
And um, I met a phenomenal therapist and we had several sessions before um, determining that I was a good candidate for EMDR. And that's when we started um, the EMDR sessions. And she just had me hold um, the buzzers in each hand. And we started with like the first traumatic memory and then just allowed my brain to kind of skip around. And so each session looked different. Um, my brain would just, it was like, almost like I was watching a movie of my life. And so one moment I would see a, a memory from childhood and then a another memory, I would, it would be much more recent in my adult life. And then again, I had memories come up from like three or four years old. So, um, through several months of therapy and natural medicine, I was able to take my anxiety from a level 10 to much more manageable state. And it's continued to heal over the past couple of years. And do you think that now as you're reliving uh, some of these uh, memories and, and some of the traumatic uh, experiences, how did the, the therapist help you move through that? Mm, like, that's a good question. So we, she would essentially set a timer and she'd let my brain skip for a while and then once the timer went off, she would just have me verbalize the memory that I was on. And sometimes the memories would, um, they bring up the emotions. And so if there was a really powerful memory that really triggered me, um, I'd cry and we'd sit there and just allow it to, I'd, I, we'd, I would allow myself to feel it, right? Because for so many years, I just pushed stress and pain and everything. I just blocked it. And so that's the whole reason why I think I got panic attacks was my body was just basically, my body and brain were stuffed with so much. And so in therapy, we'd feel it. And my therapist, um, she gave me a really incredible mental exercise um, it was more of a meditation that we would finish off the session with. And so before we started the EMDR sessions, she had me create a very safe mental space. And for me, um, it was basically this island paradise. And she had me close my eyes and describe the area around. And she would invoke all of the senses. So she'd ask me what things looked like, what things felt like. So what the sand in my fingers felt like, um, what the wind against my skin felt like. Um, she asked me what I could hear. She asked me if I could taste anything. So I, I you know, imagine tasting some salt in the air because I was right on the beach. And so in doing, in creating this space, even though it was in my mind, it became more real because I was using each of my five senses. And that really helped to um, take like some of the emotional heavy lifting that we had just done and like help me calm back down. You know, that there in, in um, meditation, it, it's called uh, grounding mm -hmm. um, to kind of feel the earth beneath you, to feel the wind on your skin, you know, it really helps to uh, make one present. And that makes sense if she's, you know, if you've been on this journey or about to go on a journey through your history in the past, um, you know, you emotionally you could you could stay there for a while. And, and, and how do we get you to be present uh, and, and back into the moment, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I practice that while I'm driving sometimes where like I'm so anxious to get home where like you're sitting in traffic and rush hour and I go you know what just feel the steering wheel in my hand uh mm -hmm. notice the different cars going by smell the air roll down you know like you, you just try to tap into your present senses um mm -hmm. is that something that you you still practice now on your own in different situations mm -hmm. um I since since leaving Tucson, I now live in Phoenix, 
And so I quit seeing my therapist, but, um, I started seeing, um, more of a spiritual coach as well as I have a life coach and my spiritual coach really taught me a ton of tools, um, how to ground, um, how to determine what voice is speaking, right? Because sometimes we're hearing our ego speak, which that's can trigger like pain and anger and aggression because the ego's trying to protect us. And it's, you know, just like, da da da. well, that person's not good or this or that. And so when you're able to learn who's speaking, you can just say, okay, thank you so much for that message. And then you're able to like, let it go. So bringing in that awareness. Um, and she, she's taught me several other tools, just like not only grounding, but like checking in on my energy, my aura, bringing, um, like my, sometimes we're outside of our body and we're not really even aware. And so like, okay, bringing my essence or my spirit back inside my body to feel things as they're happening. And it's really just about cultivating, um, an awareness so that in every moment you're as aware as possible and you're recognizing what's happening so that life isn't happening to you or like the mental stories aren't subconsciously happening in the background. You're able to bring them to the foreground and then process them that way. You know, I just became extremely aware that my hands are super dry from all the the hand washing I've been doing uh, with this coronavirus. What what are some of the techniques that she has, uh, as your spiritual coaches, taught you to uh, be um, to uh, to check in with that energy and that essence? You know, I know before we talked about tapping into the senses, but uh, what, are there some other ways that we can harness that? Mm-hmm. So, I think. I mean, part of it, I think, is is having remembering to check in. I think that is like the number one most important thing, right? Because it's so easy to go about our day and get busy and life just kind of is all consuming. And when you are able to remember, like whether it's at lunchtime or whether you're driving or um, whether you sit down, you know, at dinner um, or to meditate in the evening, it's like, okay, how am I doing? How's my body feeling? Where do I, where am I holding tension? Um, How am I doing emotionally? Oh man, I'm feeling stressed out or I'm feeling sad. And so, okay, where, where does that emotion, where am I feeling that emotion? For me, it's a lot of time. It's like in my solar chakra or like in my stomach area, like I'll just feel tightness. Um, and so almost like you're peeling away the layers to really dive into the body and then figure out like what you're feeling and how you're feeling. And then when you're really conscious of where things are and how things are moving through you, it's easier to let it go. And the letting go process, you can, um, you know, for me to let go, if I'm feeling emotional, I just, I thank that emotion for being present. And I ask it, okay, where's it coming from? Who's speaking or whose voice is this that's making me feel this way? Is it my own, my ego, my soul, my higher self, you know, somebody else's voice, like a coworker or um, a partner, a parent? You know, I love that you said that because. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say because a a lot of the the inner dialogue that we do have uh, is coming from somewhere else, whether it's uh, social media a parent, a friend, uh, a coworker, uh, you know, even a song, you know, like you, you, you listen to uh, certain songs or genres of music and then all of a sudden their vernacular and, and voice becomes your voice. 
Um, and, and, but you forget that and you, you mm-hmm. think that the way that you're talking to yourself or perceiving the world is, is your own. I mean, it's like if I watch the news long enough, all of a sudden I'm terrified of the mm-hmm. world and I start <laughs> to process it through CNN and Fox and, and all these news outlets, you know? Um, but you know, the interesting thing going back to like being aware of like your energy and, and, and checking in with yourself is you know, and for myself, and I know for a lot of people, like we love like when we feel good and we feel happy and we're so quick to acknowledge that. But, you know, those emotions of like sadness and grief and loneliness, like we we are so embarrassed and ashamed to admit that we even feel those things. Did you find that mm-hmm. for yourself also or do you struggle with that? I wouldn't say I struggle with it anymore, but I did for up until I started getting all of my panic attacks. Um, I thought that, well, for I think, you know, where it started is as a child, I didn't really learn how to f- feel and process emotions. Um, you know, my, my dad was a very, um, like stern, manly man. I remember like he took me, uh, to get my ears pierced when I was five years old. And he said, don't cry. Cause there was another little girl watching me. And I remember just like sitting in this chair (laughs) and the tears like rolled down my cheeks, but I didn't lose composure. And so, um, as I moved through life, I had multiple instances where I learned, you know, like don't lose control, don't show those emotions. And then it became, don't feel those emotions, like be positive, look at the bright side, be happy. Nothing bad happens. Everything's just a challenge that has a solution. Like, And so I went from repressing in one way to then repressing in a different way, which was just trying to see the bright side of everything instead of just having a moment and saying, man, this really sucks. (laughs) And I think as we move through life, like especially here in the West, you know, we're not shown that it's okay to cry or that it's okay to feel. It's like we just, we're moving at such a fast pace anyway that nobody has time for it. But then if you do have time for it, and especially as well, men and women, it's like for men, if you cry or show emotion, you're weak, you're a pussy, you're all these negative connotations. Right. And for women, it's like, well, she's PMSing, she's bitchy, she's crazy. So we don't really permit people to feel. And I think that's big problem because What my spiritual coach taught me was that emotions are energy in motion. And when we allow the emotion to surface and process, then it moves. And it it moves quickly within a couple of minutes. But if we stuff it and we repress it, then it just festers. And that's where problems like mental illness, I think, really stem from. I I I complete I I complete I agree so much uh, because you know when there's tension between two people, especially in a relationship, and then both sides are able to share and express how they really feel and what they're really going through. Uh, all of a sudden, there's this huge release, and then they're laughing and giggling, and there's mm-hmm. this reconnection that happens when when we uh, uh, unburden ourselves of these. Uh, emotions and feelings and, and are just uh, take the chance to be vulnerable and, mm-hmm. and uh, share what's, what's really going on in our solar plexus or, or whatever part of our body that feels it. Um, and it, like you said, it's so hard because a lot of us are conditioned to suppress and repress and uh, show strength. But really the strength is, and can you, can you cry? And still move forward. Can you be sad and grieve and uh, and and express hurt 
and still, you know, progress. I mean, that that's those are the people that we really love and champion. Um, mm-hmm. are, are those people that can uh, do both? I think I think that that's so important too for those people that are able to do that because then it gives everybody else permission to do the same. Right. And there's so much strength in being vulnerable. It sounds, you know, like an oxymoron, but I've, I've personally seen in sharing my own vulnerability. Um, you know, I've shared different things on my Instagram, different stories, or even just, you know, connecting one-on-one with people. I find that when I'm, really raw and vulnerable, they let their walls down and then they share things as well. And so there's just this beautiful symbiotic communication where you might be scared or of, of being vulnerable, but then when you, when you are, people are so receptive and it makes it more comfortable to do that. And then because you're able to express that, then they're able to do the same. And so it just kind of comes full circle. Absolutely. And I would imagine as a five-year-old girl, you know, being told to stuff down your emotions and and then kind of walking through, you know, a lot of your life like that, you, you, you know, there's you, you also start to feel disconnected and lonely. How, how do you handle feeling, do you experience feeling lonely now? Sometimes I get lonely. Um, I think it's more of my own self-doing because I'm so f- focused on my work and my goals that I kind of forget to connect with people. Um, that's actually been one of my goals for 2020 is to spend more time connecting with people because that area of my life was lacking. But in terms of like emotional loneliness, I don't feel that emotional loneliness anymore, but I definitely did for a long time, um, especially in college, um, because I was, I was a stripper and for three and a half years, I learned to really shut down my emotions. Um, but with that came so much like heartache and heartbreak because it's almost like I knew better, right? My soul was like, this isn't okay. Don't feel this way. But then I had my brain telling me like, no, don't feel anything. You can't, people don't understand. People judge you. So there was a lot of emotional loneliness at that point. Mo, what made you go into uh, stripping in college? Oh man, I just wrote a book about it. (laughs) So um, I'm going to have all the juicy details there. But kind of the Cliff Notes version is I, I lost a job in high school. Uh, I worked at a library. And um, one, of the, one of the staff members who had been there for about 20 years started hitting on me. And I spoke up. And then I was let go. So I, and they gave me, you know, some really silly reason um, that they were letting me go. And so I felt like, I believed them and I, I went home and I felt so much shame. Like, Oh my God, I just, I, I did a terrible thing. I've just lost my job. How am I going to pay for college? And my parents were so supportive. Um, and they helped me see the like reality for what it was that it wasn't really because I, you know, waived a library fine. It was because of, getting hit on and then they didn't want to deal with it. So they let me go. Um, but I still felt like this guttural fear of like, nobody's going to want to hire me. How am I going to pay for college? Like, how am I going to be independent? And, um, for my best friend's birthday, we, it was like a week before graduation, she turned 19 and we all decided to go to the strip club. (laughs) And, I remember feeling so shy and like, oh my God, I've never seen like a ton of naked people walking around. It's so weird. But when I saw how much money the girls were making on stage, you know, people were laying down $1 bills, $5 bills, the girls on stage for like three minutes and she makes like 20 bucks. 
I was like, I make $10. I, I did make $10 an hour and now I don't even have a job. Maybe I could do this. And so that's kind of how it started was like seeing how quick the cash came and being really intrigued. So that's how I kind of moseyed back in feeling really shy. But I was like, I think I want to work here. And I got hired. And then, I mean, I would imagine, you know, three and a half years of that, like you said, like you're shutting down your emotions a lot. How are you uh, decompressing after or preparing before, like mentally, emotionally? Hmm. You know, when I first started, I worked at a club that was 18 and over. And in the state of Arizona, um, you're, if, if you're a nude club, you don't serve alcohol. Um, but the pool is, you know, if you're a, a nude club, then you're able to get the 18 year old customer base. And the first club that I started working at, they weren't allowed to touch you in any way, shape or form. The customers weren't. And so it was really more about like performing, being social, talking with people. And I got more comfortable with the naked part kind of as time wore on, almost like any kind of performance. Um, and so initially, like the mental preparation was just like getting, like psyching myself up to go on stage. I'd been, I'd performed before I was a cheerleader. I sang um, in high school at our like basketball or um, basketball games and some of our pep rallies. And so I felt comfortable having people's eyes on me, but not being naked. And so that initial mental preparation was like, okay, it's the same thing. I just don't have any clothes on. And so I kind of got used to that. And then when I was 19, I was able to work in the 21 and up clubs. And that's where you were able to make more money because typically men that are going to the strip club want to be drinking as well. And it just kind of, as I worked in those clubs, the rules were different. Um, men were allowed to touch you. They were allowed to treat you much differently. And so the mental decompression at first was just like reminding myself, it's just a job. It's just a job. Like, it's okay. You're going to go home at the end of the night. You're going to be several hundred dollars richer, if not a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars richer. You know, some nights were insane. But as time went on and as different people in my life kept telling me, you know, you're just a stripper or you're a dirty stripper, you're a whore or like, I had a couple different relationships and then the parents from those relationships that would say pretty mean things to me, stuff that stuck. And so there wasn't any decompressing from that or even from the job. It was just completely shutting everything out and not feeling at all, not allowing myself to feel and just like looking in the mirror and just saying, you're fine. You are fine. Stop crying. So like being almost forceful with myself. And that was like, that was really tricky to kind of come out of that and then allow feelings to surface again. Did, did your, were your parents aware? Did you tell, did you talk to them? I mean, you mentioned your dad, you didn't mention your mom. I, I, didn't, I don't know if you grew up with both parents. So my mom and my dad are divorced. Um, my mom and my second dad live in Tucson and I told, I told them, um, like the first day that I started, um, at first I just told them that I was a door girl cause I didn't, I wasn't ready to like, you know, <laughs> convey the whole truth. I kind of wanted to just like drip on them a little bit be like, yeah, I'm working at a strip club, but I'm just the door girl, you know, kind of like let that percolate and be okay. And then finally, uh, a couple weeks later, I told them the full truth and I'm really thankful because I have extremely supportive parents and they love me and they kind of let me. They understand that I need to figure out my life and as much guidance as they can give me. Sometimes when you're a stubborn 18 or 19 year old, you just need to figure things out on your own. So 
they never judged me. I think they were worried about me, but they just let me make my own decision. And I really appreciated them for that. Um, because I was still their little girl, like that no job that I would ever have would change that or change me in their eyes. Telling my biological father was, Oh, that was, that was really tough. But I remember he cried and he told me that he failed me as a father. But I, you know, at the time I just said like, no, it's just, I just want to be independent. Like I'm paying for school. Like I'm doing, you know, I didn't have to take any loans out for school. Like everything was just paid for up front. And I was always taught, you know, to, from my dad, like independence, take, take care of yourself, just worry about you and like, make sure that you're okay. And so when I conveyed that that's what I was trying to do to him, even though he hated what I was doing, he also said, I understand and I respect your decision and just don't do it forever. Wow. That, that took a lot of courage to, to, to bring that up to your parents and have those conversations. Um, so I, I definitely applaud you for that and for the self-sufficiency. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that... Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, the economy is such that uh, you, you sometimes, especially college, is so expensive. It's insane. Oh it's it insane. So insane. The, I mean, these European kids get to take a year off and then go back because uh, college is taking care for them. And, and uh, I mean, it's, it's insane to ask an 18-year-old to take on ten to fifty to to $100,000 worth of debt and, and think that, and 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 ask them to pay it back. It's such an insane mm-hmm. system. Um, I like agree. why I'm surprised there aren't more people stripping, uh, you know, to make my think. I, I mean, I would have done it if I didn't get a football scholarship. I, I mean, it's it's insane the uh, the, the institution of, of college and, and the cost that comes with that. It's unfortunate that uh, that's the price for education. What'd you major in? Uh, retail and Spanish. I was a double major and I changed my major, um, after the first year. Um, I don't even remember what my initial major was in, but I just decided, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. I think it was just business. And then retail was more, more like it was more sexy, fun, exciting. And so then I switched. Um, and so it, I, I went to school for, it was three and a half years and I would have had another year left because I had switched majors um, about a year in. And so I, there were a couple classes I was going to need, but it was just, I just realized like I'm working in a job that I hate to support an education that I don't really even believe in, um, especially because I don't want to work in the jobs that are offered once I graduate, I don't want to work a desk job. And so, you know, I, looking back, it's like, okay, well, I, I had a year left. I should have finished, but I'm so glad that I didn't because I would have kept dancing for another year and I probably would have kept dancing after that because how do you, how do you get out? It's so hard. Like when- you're so used to making... Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, fifteen hundred. I mean, that's a lot of money to make, uh, and and to be self-sufficient, so and and in a short amount of time, it's not like you're you're working forty, fifty hours a week. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't know what the hours are, but um, I, I I would think like like nine to two or eight to to three or something like that, and uh, yeah. and then you're in, and then you're good, you know. Yeah. What? It's, Go ahead. It's. It's just, it's insane because you get so used to making such high dollars every day, you know, like, it's like if I wasn't leaving with at least a hundred dollars an hour, I was a terrible night. I was mad. (laughs) Um, and that's like after, you know, tipping out the house, tipping out a percentage of the dances, tipping out all of the bouncers, the DJ, the waitresses, it's like. 
tip out was at least like 150 bucks. And so if I didn't leave with a hundred dollars an hour, it's like, that's, I was so mad. I thought it was a, it was a shitty night. And now it's like, Oh my gosh. So I don't know anybody in my circle, close circle who makes that much money an hour currently. It's crazy. Now, all right, this is a crazy uh, question, but what was your favorite song to, to come out to? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, there were several, um, it depend. It like it really just depended on like the mood of the club, like the energy of the club. Um, whether it was like more of a hip hop song or like pop, but Lady Gaga "Poker Face" was the first song I ever danced to, and then um, "Boom Boom Pow" by the Black Eyed Peas was like a favorite. And then also, um, God, there was, there were so many, but like another one was, um, magic Mike, my pony, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> that. Course, I, when I course. saw that movie, I was like, uh, huh, I totally understand this. <laughs> um, you know, so backtrack a little bit, you know, you, you talked about the EMDR, but you also talked about, uh, natural medicine, uh, can you talk to us about that and then what that was used for? Because mm-hmm. there's so many people who are taking medications that with these horrible and horrific side effects. Um, and so if there's a, or natural medicines that can be as effective, uh, definitely would be beneficial. So I'd say there's like a blanket, uh, a blanket couple remedies or natural uh, medicines that work really well um, for like the general populace. And then I'll kind of, so I'll talk about that and then I'll go into um, more of the personalization that I've done with my homeopathic doctor. So um, initially like fish oils, the DHA, EPA are really beneficial for the brain. I think they, that's been shown to significantly reduce um, symptoms of a depression. So um, taking that, I took that. Um, I had my all my blood levels checked, so my vitamin D, my thyroid, um, I think were the two primary ones. And we found that my vitamin D was actually really low. So I took vitamin D to help boost that up because I guess when vitamin D is really low, you can also experience mental health, health issues. Yeah. Depression, especially for sure, because, uh, the vitamin D helps to trigger serotonin, which is the mm. feel good drug. Uh, but you need the, to trigger the serotonin to release the melatonin so that you can sleep at night. So if you're not getting enough vitamin D, uh, that, that means that you're probably not, you're not feeling good, but then you're also not able to get, quality sleep, which then can lead you down a a further, uh, you know, path of depression. Mm, Very good. I see someone, some of us went to college, didn't we? (laughs) (laughs) Or or, or just spent too much time on YouTube. (laughs) That is basically college for kids these days, right? True. Um, so I, I took that and then, um, ashwagandha, L-theanine. I tried different CBD drops. I found that they didn't really work for me. Um, those were kind of the, the, the blanket things that I took. And And, and that was for depression, the, the fish oils, the L-theanine and ashwagandha. I, I was diagnosed with like primarily anxiety, but because I was so severely anxious and I couldn't leave my bedroom without freaking out, I also started to taper into depression as well. So my primary problem was the anxiety, but then it bled into some depression because of everything that was going on. It was just kind of like this big weight on my shoulders. So I tried the herbs and vitamins to help support both of those symptoms. 
And then I worked with a naturopath in Tucson who she is my lifesaver. Um, I saw her when I was 18 for some unrelated issues and she helped me then. Um, and then when I started having issues with my anxiety, she, um, she takes more of a holistic approach as most natural doctors do, but she doesn't really believe in like the blood testing or the scientific. She approaches it more from an energetic perspective and the behavior tendencies that one has, um, tell her more about what's going on in the body and where the imbalance is. And so in our sessions, she would say, okay, like, tell me about, tell me about this. Okay. How does that make you feel? And when you feel that, how does that make you feel? Like she's just really pulling away the layers and it almost seems like you're repeating yourself a little bit, but as you continue through a session, she really like gets to the root. And then she asked what cravings I had food wise. Um, she asked about my dreams, which helped her like see into my subconscious. And from there, she first put me on Ignatia, which is, um, it's just an, it's a natural remedy. It was like a little sugar pill that I would take every day, um, melt in the mouth. And, um, I'm not sure if you know how homeopathic medicine works, but basically like you take an element and then you dilute it in water and you shake it. And then you take one drop of that gallon of water and you put it in another gallon and you shake it. And so as you do that, the remedy itself becomes stronger, even though there's no real, there's no trace left of the element. It's all the energy. And so when I took that, it helped for a while. Um, and then we, I started to get better, uh, ended up going camping with my boyfriend at the time, uh, husband now, and we were driving through the mountains, which was where I first had my first panic attack, um, when driving back from Iowa. And it just really triggered me. I wasn't, it was too much. I wasn't really ready to go on that camping trip. And then I started to get worse. And so then I met with Dr. Flagler again and she gave me, I think it's called Natrium Marotica or, or Natmer is the short name. And so I've been taking that for the last several years and it's just a daily dose. Um, it took a while to feel better. Um, but I haven't, the last panic attack that I had was back in September. And prior to that, it was like nine months before that. So the natural remedy, even though it's a longer approach, it's much more stable because you're not having to tweak your dose of, you know, the as their SSRIs, right? That's what they're called. Right. And, and those can really throw people out of balance. And ultimately, those suppress emotions, whereas natural remedies help to help you process them. So you let them go versus just stuffing them. Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm looking up uh, the Ignatia now and uh, it, it, you know, there there is some evidence of how it, it can help you with uh, the anxiety and, and, and depression. Um, some people, there are some side effects, it looks like, that, or just things to look for, the muscle spasms, difficulty breathing. But, you know, so that's why you definitely, you know, I'm only bringing this up to say that you don't want to take anything without a trained Correct. professional, uh, you know, uh, guiding you through it. I, I don't want anybody ordering anything off Amazon. <laughs> that's that's uh, such a great point. Right. And uh, to piggyback on that. I, because we're all individual and we all have different tendencies, we've all grown up in different circumstances. So the ways that we suppress emotions can, are, are going to vary. And so what works for one patient will not work for another and, or make it worse if it is the wrong energetic fit, right? It's like, if you're, it's like, Somebody who's exhausted and you give them a caffeine pill, they're going to feel normal. But somebody who's already wired, and if you give them a caffeine pill, it's going to make them worse. 
And that's kind of the way I think energy healing works is if you give them more energy of what they don't need, it's not going to be a good combination. It's very individual. And that's where the one-on-one work comes to play. Absolutely. What, um, you know, you don't have to go into too much detail, but uh, what was some of the the trauma that you underwent uh, from your childhood that uh, led you into therapy and and down this path? Hmm. So my, my dad and my mom got divorced when I was three and my mom and I moved to Arizona when I was six, when she remarried, um, my stepdad who has been an incredible father figure for me, but I would go back to Pennsylvania, um, over the holidays and then every summer And my dad remarried a woman who was very mentally and emotionally abusive. Um, Just little things like calling me chubby and fat to stupid, um, no common sense and a moron. So I, I grew up believing that I was really dumb and not pretty at all. Um, it's kind of like a, a generalization. Um, and then my mom, my mom really struggled with alcohol addiction when I was growing up and she would, she would have weekend benders where I wouldn't, I wouldn't see her the whole weekend. You know, she would just be drunk in her bedroom and, um, I had to call an ambulance for her a couple times because I couldn't wake her up. So those were like some of the things that I think really had a, a pretty big impact on me. There was also some some physical abuse um, that occurred. You know, you just for me, I was just really scared of like making any kind of mistakes. And so I think into my adult life, that's why I pushed myself so hard to one, prove that I was smart and two, to prove that I was, I was good enough and that I, I could get love because with my dad, I think because he was really unhappy in his marriage and also because he grew up with a father who didn't show him any affection. He was, he was challenging to, he was challenging to grow up with because whenever I did make a mistake, it was like, he'd hit me on the head with his knuckles, you know, and call me stupid. And as a really young girl, that's really scary to have, you know, to, to live in fear that you're going to make a mistake and then have your dad come, come just hit you on the head. And it wasn't, it wasn't like he would beat the shit out of me, you know, but it's like to still live in that kind of fear. It was really hard. Um, I'm going to actually write a second book about coming out of the stripping world and then into the feeling world and what that looks like. And then talk about the anxiety and some of those traumas in depth. Um, still a little hard to talk about, but I think, like I said earlier in sharing that vulnerability, then it makes it okay for other people. And I hope to do that. I just don't know. (laughs) It's like, it's a little scary to talk about. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine, I appreciate you, you know, sharing what you shared and, um, and because there's just so many listeners out there who have grown up in abusive, uh, households, and, you know, feel like there's no way out and, you know, struggle with uh, so much emotional pain as a result. And, um, and by you sharing your story and, and, and what you're doing and, and the fact that you, uh, you know, you've, I mean, one that you escaped college with no, with no debt, um, but that, you know, you have your own business, you're writing books and, and, and you're spreading the word. Um, I mean, it's so powerful and, and that, you, you know, you're, 
you're being proactive, you know, like, you know, you're taking mm-hmm. the natural medicines, you're going to therapy. Not only do you have a spiritual coach, but you have a life coach. Um, can you can you talk to us about like what the life coach is is coaching you through, and what what kind of tools and strategies and tactics has he and coping mm-hmm. skills has he given you? Mm-hmm. So my life coach is Sandra, and she is so incredible. Um, I've been coaching with her now for I think it's three years. And she coaches me in business. She coaches me with relationships. She coaches me. She's actually the one who um, told me to write my first book. And so every week we kind of go over what's been happening in my life. And some weeks things are really dense in the business, um, like Recently, you know, the coronavirus, it's affecting the economy, it's affecting the world. So it trickles down and it's affecting business. So last week we discussed how to kind of navigate through that um, and be proactive um, so that things don't hit quite as hard as they might in other businesses. Um, but overall, she, she's, she's like a best friend who is completely unemotionally attached. And so the advice that she gives you isn't self-serving. It's, it's only for like the, your best benefit because she's not, she doesn't know all of the other characters personally. Right. So it's like, she's just able to kind of come in and cut through any of the crazy stories that you might be telling yourself and just say like, Hey, like, here's what's going on. Here's the problem. And here's a couple ways that we can fix this problem. Um, and that's why I love her. Cause I don't, it's almost like every area of my life, she has this insane ability to just know exactly what's going on and help me navigate it. So I, I highly recommend a life coach for everybody. <laughs> um, at least one that's really well-rounded because they help. It's almost like talking to a therapist, but better because they also help. It's just different. It's just different. Like they give you more, more tools, um, to go attack life. No, I agree. You know, I have my master's in counseling and I switched over to coaching because I felt like there were, uh, a too many restraints with counseling there there's too many do's and don'ts um and with coaching mm-hmm. it gives you much more flexibility uh because everybody's situation is so dynamic and you have to be able to meet people where they are and with counseling um you can do that to a certain extent but with coaching you can be a hundred percent available and real and and um and you can you can uh, ex- try things, you know, like you can you know you can really experiment and get in there and really figure it out and go on a journey with them with uh, counseling. Uh, there there were so many, and not to say that it's not beneficial. I I think there's a time right. and place for everything. I think, right. you know, uh, because your journey was that you started with therapy so that you were able to kind of reframe. And 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 shift the story of your your past and your history, and then you were ready to to, to focus on your present and future, and so then you brought in a coach right. for that. So I I, th- I think they work hand in hand. It's just like meds. I'm not even though I don't take meds, but I think that for some people, uh, you ha- you have to go with Western medicine, and for some people, you have to go with Eastern medicine, and and it's just about what phase of uh, of, of life you're in and where you're at. You know, I really, I couldn't agree with that more because everybody's journey looks different, right? And there's never a one fit all. So I, I really like how you bring up like the differences between therapy, um, and coaching. I think therapy, therapy plays such an integral role when, we're like at that precipice of like 
almost falling over the edge. And we don't, we don't, at least for me, it was like, I didn't even know what was happening inside my body, inside my mind. I felt crazy. And if I had just had a coach who was like, Hey, like just, you know, we're going to figure this out and blah, 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 blah. It wouldn't, it would have been preemptive because I needed like a deeper level of healing first. And that's what the therapy gave me. And then coming out of therapy and like ready to grow a business and get married and like move, you know, in with my fiance and, um, you know, kind of take things next level, start writing the book. It's like, okay, well now I have all these goals. And because I feel much more complete, I'm able to attack these goals in a much different way. And I have the energy to do do it because I feel okay inside. Yeah. And, you know, I, I want to talk more about your book. What's the, what's the title of your book and, um, and you know, what, what can readers expect to get from it? So my, I don't have an official title for it. I have an idea and I don't know if I'm going to run into any copyright issues. So I'll just say, that kind of as a, a disclosure, but I would like to call it danced with the devil. And I'm currently in the process. Um, I think I found an editor who's going to be a really good fit. And once I go through the editing process, um, I'm, I think I'm also going to self publish, but the book is very much written like a fiction, but it kind of takes you through, it takes the reader through a journey through my eyes and, and over the course of three and a half years. And there's initially, you know, there's this 18 year old innocence and I'm just graduating high school. And like, I'm almost like looking at the world through rose colored glasses, you know? And then as, as things progress, as I, move into different clubs. Um, I moved to Miami for a summer and worked there. You know, um, I danced in Vegas and Oregon, like I, anywhere that I wanted to travel, I would just go work there as well. And so there's a lot of like, there's fun, there's adventure, there's like the glitz and glam. And then there's also broken relationships and a lot of negative talk from those around me, which bleeds into negative self-talk. And then ultimately like a very, a very sharp and aggressive, like downward spiral into like self-destructive behaviors and rock bottom. And then I just wanted to like show how the pursuit of money, it was money for me ultimately led me to do things that I never thought that I would do. And the line became, the line continued to get blurrier and blurrier. And I just hope that when people read it, they're able to see that that can happen in any industry and the pursuit of anything at the cost or expense of yourself is really not worth it. Yeah, was there any uh, drug use on your part, you know, uh, coming up? And I, I think more importantly, like, what got you into therapy in the very beginning? Because just asking for help is so hard for most people. Um, in college, I did party. There was drug use. I went to several raves. <laughs> I would say overall, I, I was never a drug addict. Um, I don't even think that I was like, I, I had fun, but I, I don't believe that I was using the drugs to escape, uh, especially because addiction runs in my family. So I was very careful to keep things separate. I wanted to just have fun. There could be underlying pieces of, you know, going into that, just wanting to party and be with friends versus going to work. Um, but I don't think the drug use, I, I saw many dancers 
have to use drugs or alcohol in order to be at work. And I was always, I always maintained that level of sobriety, uh, especially at work. Um, but it is very common in that industry and it's really sad. And then going into therapy, I didn't, I didn't go into therapy after I quit dancing because I just, I didn't know that I needed it. Um, I knew that I was detached from my emotions and I thought that I could do a lot of healing on my own, just getting out of the industry, being around positive people, um, you know, getting a different job and like just reading different books, quitting partying like that. Um, and then moving, ultimately moving to Iowa, um, to be with a friend who had her startup e-commerce business. That was really influential. Cause I just, I left pretty much everything behind and like kind of started over and then really focused on the positivity. But like I said earlier, I traded kind of one form of repression for another. So I tried to feel emotions, but it was very uncomfortable. And so then when I saw like, oh, I can just be positive and happy all the time. This is what it's supposed to be like. That's when I, I really quit feeling and then I, it started all over again. And so that's kind of what pushed me over to the edge. And that's where I needed therapy kind of coming out of that. And once, once I started the business, that was almost like the cataclysm of like, okay, so much is going on now. My body's freaking out. And like the sign, the signs were there all along, but I had, I hadn't listened to them. And so once the, um, once the panic attack started happening, that's when I couldn't ignore it anymore. And that's when I really understood, like, I have to do things differently. I can't keep living life this way because it's really not working. Are there things that you and your husband uh, are working through together? Um, I would imagine because, you know, for me, uh, I've, I've been a couples therapy in so many relationships and uh, I would imagine that maybe some of the issues from your past are coming up in a relationship. Are you guys working through anything? It's mm, a great question. Jay is the most magnificent man I have ever met. Um, I wouldn't say that we're currently working on issues. Like things are really good, but there's all like, there's been stuff that's come up in the last several months through writing the book. A lot of like, like emotional, it was a very emotional experience and there were some chapters where I would just start sobbing. And so what Jay is for me is he is able to hold space. He is my rock. And when things happen in life that are hard or that bring up memories or whatever, he's like such a stable person and so grounded in who he is that I feel really comfortable being able to express anything that I'm feeling with him. And that's laid a really solid foundation for us to both be able to share so that when things do come up that are like issues between the two of us, we're able to just talk through them and like move past them very quickly. Mo, thank you so much for being on this episode. Is there anything that, you know, from your book or from your experiences that you want the listeners to take away? I, yes, you are enough. I just think that you should know that and own it and believe it with every fiber of your being. You are enough. Plug all your things, Mo. Where, where can people find you? Where can they get your book, or your new book, your website, all that stuff? So um, I'm on Instagram as Mo Fit Than You. Little play on my name. <laughs> 
Um, my book is not out yet. I'm still kind of going through the publishing editing process, but as soon as it is, I will definitely put that up on my Instagram as well. And then I don't have a personal, but I do have my organic makeup company. If any of your listeners are interested in that. Oh, a lot um, of people it, are, especially now. <laughs> A lot of people yeah. can't make it to the beauty shop and, and barbershop. <laughs> so for sure, uh, people's, awesome. yeah, everybody's, everything's becoming undone. <laughs> Especially that meme. I don't know if you saw that meme going around. It's like coming out of quarantine without the lashes, the nails. <laughs> I don't know if you thought it was hysterical. <laughs> but yeah, so for for all of your organic beauty needs, um, the company is called Bay Blue. It's B-A-E-B-L-U.com. Bay Blue. I love it. And, you know, I ask this of all my guests who are on the episode. I always imagine that there's one person who is listening that may be on a precipice of ending their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Mo? Mm. There's an impermanence about the life that we live. Nothing stays stagnant. Everything is always moving forward. And so when you find yourself at rock bottom or a really low period in your life, just know that it's temporary and you will move through it. And when there's when you're at the lowest low, there's only one direction to go, and that's up. So just hold on a little bit longer. Mo, thank you so much. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself. My name's Leo Flowers. Thank you all for rating it five stars. And once again, like Mo said, you know, uh, therapy works, coaching works also. And if you want one-on-one -on -one coaching, go to thrivewithleo.com thrivewithleo.com. Uh, I've been there. I, I'm still struggling myself with it, and, uh, and but together we can get through it. So thrivewithleo.com. Thank you so much, Mo, for being on here. Thank you, listeners, for listening, and we will talk to you soon.